I mean, you guys can have a seat this morning. Thankful to be here. As Caleb said, my name is Jesse Pauley. I'm actually the worship and discipleship pastor here at Ridgecrest, and so I normally get to do that. I was telling Caleb's parents beforehand, I'm unbelievably thankful uh, to have Caleb as backup, super faithful, and uh, I really, really uh, love getting to kind of get to be out there and hear uh, him lead. I think that's really great. Um, if, if you know me well, or maybe if you work with me, maybe that would be better. If you work with me, which would be a very small few of you, uh, you would know that I live my life around uh, the Reminders app on my phone. Uh, if I didn't have that, I would be uh, quite lost. And, and one of the few things that I don't schedule out on that app is when to eat. I don't have to think about that too much. But genuinely, just about everything else, I have to schedule out or write on a post-it note or do something. That, that's just how my brain works. And this past week, I had to uh, work from home. I was uh, awaiting, had a little brush in with um, the coronavirus, so I was waiting on a test to come back, so I wasn't going to be around anybody. Got it back. I'm negative. No worries. I don't have the coronavirus. Um, but I was working from home. And I have three little children at home and a wife who also works from home. And also now our intern also lives with us. And so Jet, I don't know if you've had a chance to meet Jet. He's great. This is also his last Sunday. So super sad. So uh, we're going to miss him. But he also lives. So there's just a, a whole cacophony of craziness in my house all week long. And for someone who likes rem scheduled reminders and so at... Uh, at five times during the day, I get a reminder to pray. No, I'm not a Muslim, and no, I'm not a monk, but I think it's super helpful to get reminded to pray a handful of times during the day. And so, a uh, handful of times to pray, or at 1.15 every day, I get a reminder that pops up on my phone that reminds me to do something that shows my wife that I love her. Now, should I need reminders for that? Probably not. But she's super thankful that I get those reminders, I'll just tell you that. But I have to have these reminders on everything in my life. And working from home blew that to smithereens. I was completely lost. And so I found myself having to even make reminders for things that I don't normally even have to remind myself. For. I had to go really above and beyond this week to stay in my routine. And this is just how my life works. I need these reminders over and over on super simple stuff. And so this week, we're going to be in a passage that is simple. But I think for many of us, we need this ding on our phone. We need this little blip in our life that gently and kindly reminds us what this is supposed to look like. And so if you have your Bibles with me, turn to Colossians chapter 3. We're back in Colossians this week. Colossians chapter 3, we're just going to be in two verses, verses 16 through 17. It says this, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through Him. 
when Matt and I were looking at kind of the schedule of how things were going to come up this summer and uh, maybe having him take a, a couple weeks of, off from preaching, um, we, I saw this passage and I just I texted him and I said, man, I would love to preach this. This is teaching and singing, literally my job. I would love to be able to talk about this a little bit. It would be super fun for me. And so uh, he was gracious enough to, to let me preach this morning. And so we're going to get to get into a little bit of both how we worship um, and so what we do as a gathered church here on Sunday mornings um, and then how we live. And I mentioned that I think this passage is going to be simple and going to hopefully be just a small nudge of a reminder for us. But here is the reminder in this passage. And it's that we worship by teaching the word, we worship by singing the word, and we worship by living out the word. So let's get into this a little deeper because there was a word that was repeated and that word was word. So we probably should figure out what this word is. And so if you look in verse 16, we'll start out. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you Richly. Now, when we look at this, uh, because if you're coming to Ridgecrest, you probably think a certain way when you read the phrase, Word of Christ. But when, when we read that, we're going to look at that and we're going to recognize that means the whole of Scripture. The whole canon of Scripture. But there are going to be many that would look at that, the Word of Christ, and they're going to really focus only on the words that Christ spoke. Some of you have probably seen or maybe have interacted with at least um, what's referred to as a red letter Bible, which has the words of Christ in red. Now, some people, this is super helpful. The Bible doesn't always do great. Like any like normal books you might read, they would have uh, paragraph separation for quotes or maybe they have actual quotation marks. Oftentimes, when we are in the Gospels, um, we don't really have those easy literary devices. And so somebody thought it would be super helpful to come and lay the words of Christ in red. But what this has actually ended up accomplishing over time are polar opposite groups of theological thinkers who have ended up kind of in the pits because they have taken these red letters, the words of Christ, and thought of them as the words from Christ, and they have placed them above the other words in the text. And so what you'll get is there are some hyper-fundamentalists who will look at that and they'll say, well, the red letters, the words of Christ, that's just the stuff we need to do 150%. Or and then you have the theological liberals over here who would say, the red letters, the words of Christ, those are the only ones we need to focus on. The words of Christ are more important than the words of Paul or the words of Jeremiah or the words of Moses. And our understanding of inerrancy, of inspiration, and of what this Bible actually is, we cannot condone either of those. We would say both of those are wrong. We believe that all of Scripture is breathed out by God. We look at Luke 2 and we're going to see that all of Scripture points to Jesus. And we're going to see in John 1 that the Word is Jesus himself. And so we're going to read this not just as the words from Jesus or just the words about Jesus, but when we think of the words of Christ, we're going to consider all of 
the capital W word, all of the scripture. And so we're going to look at this and see, we're going to let the word, all of it, be taught, sung, and lived out. Now we're going to go on here. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Now when many of us consider dwell, we think of our personal quiet time. How am I going to let this dwell richly in me? And so we consider maybe personal quiet times. For me, my brain immediately goes to, I have an app on my phone called Dwell. And this app reads the Bible to me. Um, I like it because it's got this really nice, soft, ambient pad behind it. And there's this Irish girl named Rosie who reads scripture to me. And her accent's really great. And I can just kind of get really enmeshed in it. I love listening to the word being read even more than I love just kind of actually reading the word myself. And so it's a great app for me. If you don't have it, you should. It's, it's great. Literally called dwell. So when, when I read this, let the word of God dwell in you richly, that's where my mind goes, sort of to personal quiet time. And yours may go there as well. You may think, how am I letting the word dwell in me richly? Well, I have an individual quiet time or devotional time daily or regularly in my life, which is great. So hear me say, I love that. I love that you're invested in the Word. I love that you're studying the Word. I love that you think the Word of God highly enough to be involved in studying it regularly. However, we need to see that each of us having an individualized Bible that we carry around with us doesn't ever become possible until after the printing press. So you've got a whole huge portion of church history where individual believers don't have Bibles where they're able to have quiet times or devotional times on their own. And so when they think of interacting with the text, when they think of letting the Word dwell in them, this type of setting is where their mind would have gone. It becomes much less individual and much more relational. See, they would let the Word dwell in them through relationships, through the communal reading of the Word, through the communal interpretation of the Word, and through letting the Spirit work through different people in the body. And so, when we think about this, our minds are going to naturally go to letting the, Christ, letting the Word of Christ dwell is going to be quite personal. But I want us to see this morning that it is a deeply congregational act to let the Word of Christ dwell in us. And we're going to see that even in the teaching portion says to teach and admonish one another. And so it's going to call us even more into a relational act with the Word. And so how does this Word dwell in us richly? We've said it, this is the Word and it's being called to dwell. And so how does it dwell? We've already said it. It dwells by singing, teaching, and living it out. This is the great part about this Word. This is the basis for what we will teach, sing, and live out. And once we teach, sing, and live out this word, this is what we will want to go back to, to figure out what to teach, what to sing, and what to live out. So it's, it's sort of reciprocal in its nature. You both want it and you want to give it back. You want to teach, sing, and live it out once you get it. And so let's get into those three, teaching, singing and living out. And this is going to be where we spend the majority of our time together this morning. So teaching, 
the word. One thing that I love about Ridgecrest, we had a, a Next Steps class this morning, a new members class, and sadly I didn't get to teach it. I love teaching that class. Many of you in here have sat through that with me. It's one of my favorite things to do is to onboard new people onto our church. But one thing that we regularly talk about in there is I say that all of the ministries of Ridgecrest have to fall into either grow, serve, or go. That's sort of the litmus test that we run each of them through. Is this a grow ministry? Is this a serve ministry? Is this a go ministry? Because we don't really want to do a ton of superfluous stuff. We want to make sure what we're doing is truly rooted in what we say we're doing. But the second thing that I love is that we are a people who run every ministry and every word through the word. We want to make sure that the word is being permeated through everything we do. And, and there's no better place to see that than right here every morning. Every morning. Matt's not preaching every morning. Every Sunday morning. Sorry, Matt, if I've just linked you into preaching every single morning. That's going to be really rough on you. It'll be a hard schedule to keep. Sorry, man. But the word of Christ is controlling all the ministries of the local church, but it's especially controlling this ministry, the ministry of preaching and teaching. And what we do at Ridgecrest, because we seek to do what this passage says, teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. And so we've sought to see what's the wisest way that we think we can teach and preach this Bible and the wisest way we've sought to do this is through expository preaching. You may have heard this phrase thrown around before. But it's, it's typically uh, contrasted with um, what would be topical preaching. So they're going to pick a topic and they're going to find places in the Bible that talk about that. Which is a perfectly fine and acceptable way to preach. But we're going to see, we're going to go through the Bible and kind of chunk it through. And we're going to seek to expose the text. Expository preaching is simply saying, we're going to seek to explain the Bible and we're going to seek to say, what does the Bible mean by what it says? It's really simple. And so we're going to look at the text and we're going to break it down. And I know for many of us in here, every week we are unbelievably thankful for Matt Beasley. I know I am. Because I never have to consider whether or not he's being faithful and true to this word. I know he is. Week in and week out. He dedicates so many hours of his week towards study and prep. And teaches with unbelievable clarity and theological accuracy. And as a church, we should tolerate nothing else. We should always seek to have someone who will be theologically and biblically sound in their teaching. Right? We should... Teach the word. And so you cannot lie with this word. You cannot teach heresy. You should not be able to as the pastor and preacher of a church. Sadly, many of the churches in our world have gone the way of theological inaccuracy and heresy. But I'm thankful, like I said, to be, at a body, be in a body and be under a leadership who I know will be faithful week in and week out to this word. And so we should be thankful for that. Because if they aren't faithful to the word, typically they tend to be faithful to their own opinions and their own feelings. And when our opinions and our feelings direct our preaching and teaching, then it is not the word that dwells in us, but someone else's feelings and opinions that dwell in us. What you consume is what will dwell in you. And so if you have a pastor who will preach and teach feelings and opinions, the feelings and opinions will dwell in you. 
I've been a part of churches like that, and it does not end well. When the word is what's preached and taught, then that will be what dwells in its members. But this is not the only time that preaching and teaching happens at our church. And it's not the only time that the word dwells in our teaching. It happens in our Sunday school classes and in our life groups and in individual relationships in our body. And so if you aren't involved in those relationships and in any of those other things, I would highly encourage that you get involved. I had someone email me this week and said, hey, I know we're in the midst of the coronavirus, but when things get back to normal, we really want to be involved in a life group. If you don't find yourself in one of those relationships, brothers and sisters, let me tell you, you've got blinders on in your life. You're not letting other people interpret scripture around you. You're not letting other people impact your life and have the word of, through the spirit speak to you. You need to be involved in relationships with our local body so that they can speak to you and do exactly what this passage says, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. This is not just a word to the elders. This is not just a word to staff at the church. This is a word to all of us. We should all be called to teach and admonish, or, uh, teach and admonish one another. And so we worship by teaching the word. I mentioned that my title is Worship and Discipleship Pastor. And so worship is going to be a lot what we talk about today. And so when we're worshiping, we worship by teaching the word. We also worship by singing the word. Let's go on in this passage and it says this. So it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. You can almost insert a by there, by teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, and then by singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. These are how we let the word dwell in us. So psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Let me tell you, there have been fights and fights over centuries about what those three words mean, and we've come to a real conclusive landing. We, we don't really know. We know psalms. Those are in this Bible. We know those. But, but hymns and spiritual songs, there doesn't seem to be a tremendous amount of difference in what those mean. I can tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean the hymnal, because that didn't exist. So it couldn't have really meant that. So, but what it's saying, this is much less about what the songs are supposed to sound like, but how they are supposed to be sung. So what does it say? Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts. This is what the focus of this is. When we worship, it's not so much what the songs sound like, but how you are singing those songs. Thankfully. And what are we thankful for? We are thankful for the grace of God. This is the really wonderful thing that happens here in the Greek in this passage. So the very end... Where, it, where we translate that with thankfulness in. In Greek, this would be ente kariti. I'm sure I'm saying that wrong, but I need to do more Greek work. Sorry, Matt. But you may recognize kariti, which would be very similar to charis. And so some of you may have heard of charis, which would be grace. So he's saying, be thankful, be gracious in your singing. So you should be graceful and gracious when you're singing and you are singing about the grace of God. 
It's both how you sing and what you are singing about. God's grace is the reason that he is praised. However, sadly, we often sing incorrectly. Now, I'm not meaning wrong notes, although I imagine some of you are doing that as well. But we often sing incorrectly in two ways. One, we often sing incorrect songs. Again, I'm not meaning stylistically. I often have to throw a, a wet blanket on people when they suggest songs. And many of you do suggest songs, which is perfectly fine. I'm not able to listen to all the songs that exist in this world. And so you are more or less my farming system to let me know what good songs are out there. So, but I often have to kind of throw a wet blanket on that and calm someone down who's quite excited about a song because it contains theological inaccuracies. This happens more and more and more regularly these days as contemporary Christian music morphs into just sort of uh, worship music and more and more people are writing songs and so we're naturally going to get more and more people who write bad songs. Um, and so what ends up happening is that there are problems in these songs, theological hurdles that we just can't really get over. And in the same way that our messages must be based upon the Word of God, so our songs should be also. We have no more of a right to lie when we're singing than Matt does while he's preaching. So we must sing the Word of God. And if you somehow think I'm overreacting in that well, just singing's not that big of a deal, and, and the words we sing, they're just sort of fun. Let me give you a quote here from Bill Johnson, who's the pastor at Bethel Church in Redding, California. Bethel is one of the most prominent uh, Christian worship bands out there, and they are one of the most prominent and notorious for this kind of theological inaccuracies that creep into their songs. And this is what he says about people when they're singing. They've sort of gotten this down to an art form. And he says, while singing, people will begin to believe things they would not believe through teaching. Now, sometimes that's great. We just sang, holy, holy, holy. And, and let me tell you, if you're having a hard week, or maybe you're struggling with understanding the holiness of God, that is true. It's easier to sing, to bring my heart to sing something like that. Sometimes I sing things that... I just am still wrestling with, but in singing the song, I get it out, and that moves my heart. But there's another way of, it's just way easier to get you to sing wrong things that you may not believe in these things, we're going to get you to sing it anyways. It's way easier to get you to sing it than it is for me to get you to listen to my preaching. And I will tell you that I've seen this slippery slope happen far more than I'm comfortable with. People will be interested in the music and they'll end up following the band on Instagram. And then from there, they're listening to that pastor's sermons. And then they're listening to his books. And now they're completely bought into the social gospel. Or they're completely bought into um, this sort of extreme uh, charismatic worship. Or they're completely bought into whatever craziness they're teaching at the church, because I'm telling you, there's lots of it. As someone who listens to lots of Christian music, as someone who listens to these things with a, a particularly discerning ear of a pastor, I will tell you there are scary and inaccurate and heretical things coming out of these songs. I love music 
more than the next guy. But hear me say, we must listen and sing with a discerning ear. And so as one of your pastors, one of my goals in that is at the bottom of every lyric of every song we sing, we have the scripture that it's based off of. Now, if you went and looked that up, you're not going to find a word-for-word pull from that. But the idea of the song is rooted in Scripture. The idea of even that section of the song is going to be rooted in Scripture. And we do that so that we can show that we truly are singing biblically and theologically accurate words. Because we worship by singing the Word. We cannot lie and speak untruths while we sing. The second way that I think we often sing incorrectly, and let me, and please hear this, this passage calls for us to teach and admonish. So do not hear this with a hurtful heart. Hear this with a heart of a pastor who wants and desires to see his people brought into this thankfulness. But often our hearts do not seem to be thankful when we sing. Now you're right, I cannot know your heart while you're singing. But I can, well, before the coronavirus, I could see your faces. Can't do it really much anymore. But I can see your faces. And I can recognize your body posture. Some of us in here could not look more bored when we sing praises to our God. Now, I know we're a naturally stoic people. That's just kind of what we do. We, we, like to, we like to come in, do our church, have our hands here. We're definitely not going to clap. I'll tell you, Sebastian's a good enough drummer. You can clap. You're not going to get him off. I promise. You may get me off, but you're not going to get him off. But there's a stoicism to you. You're stone-faced often. I'll tell you, when I started leading worship, I started doing it in high school. Uh, I came into church after school. That's just what I did. Most days after school, I came to church and hung out with my youth pastor and one Wednesday, he handed me his guitar and said, you, you want to learn how to play guitar? I said, sure. So he taught me the only four chords that you need to know. And uh, he said, you want to you lead worship tonight? And thinking back on it, either one, he must have had me turned down all the way, or two, he must have just been wanting to lose his job, because I'm sure it was terrible. But I, I led worship that night, and I've been doing it ever since, and I've loved it and loved it and loved it. But as I would lead worship in my high school years, my mother would often be out in the congregation. And every single time I would get off stage, I heard the same thing. And she would say, you got to smile. You look so mad when you're leading worship. And I said, well, Mom, I'm so focused. I'm so focused on singing the right notes and playing the right chords. Just, I can't think about smiling, too. And, and, and I'm, I don't want to sound too much like my mother right now. But think about the words you are singing when you sing with us. We sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We, are, we should be smiling from ear to ear. We know this God is holy. We sang about this glorious day earlier. Where our lives were exhumed from the tomb of our sin and brought into the light of Christ. And thankfully for you, you had a mask on so I couldn't see, but maybe you sang it with a stone face. The grace of our Lord that we sing with should ignite a spark in us that gives us a countenance of complete joy and thankfulness. Now, I'm not, once again, calling for 
overly emotional or unnecessarily physical actions. Please don't start flailing on me. But for a heart of thankfulness that moves your body into a posture of thankfulness. Don't skip out on singing because you're waiting for the meat of the sermon. In this passage, it is very clear that the Lord has called us to sing. I think there are some who think of our music and our prayers and our scripture reading as merely the appetizer and the dessert to the entree of the sermon. And while Matt is a really good preacher... What we do and sing and pray and read, brothers and sisters, we are doing and reading and saying and praying the word of God. It is not just an appetizer or dessert. The whole thing is the entree. This whole section that we do up here, all of our worship is worship. It is not just when we're preaching. It is not just when we're singing the whole things. And so we must Focus on it all and we must recognize that we worship by singing the word thankfully. And now we don't just worship on Sunday mornings, however. We also worship by living out the word. This is what verse 17 tells us. Verse 17, once again, says, And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. When I tell people that I am the worship and discipleship pastor, they immediately think about that I sing songs on a Sunday morning. Uh, I'll tell you, one of my least favorite titles for my job is song leader. Um, Chase Potter uh, knows this about me, and so anytime he ever introduces me to anyone, he introduces me as the song leader. To which I tell him all I have to do when I introduce him is just say that he is a lawyer, which is much more pejorative, I think. Um... (laughs) But I am not just a song leader, I would like to think. But worship doesn't just stop, in my mind, as the worship and discipleship pastor. Worship does not just stop when you leave these doors. The word should continue to dwell in you in whatever you do. That's what this passage says. Whatever you do can be worship. So we must ask ourselves, are the things that I'm doing able to be worshipful? So you may want a list of things that you can and cannot do. Conveniently, Paul's just given you one, a couple of verses ahead. So go back, start at verse 5, and he's given you a nice little list. However, look at verse 16. What does it say we're teaching and admonishing in? We're teaching and admonishing in all wisdom. Back in chapter 1, verse 9, Paul's called us to pray with wisdom. And in chapter 2, verse 3, he has told us that all this wisdom, where is it? It is in Christ. Elsewhere in Paul's epistles, he has told us that there was a time for rule and law. But now is a time when the guardians have been pulled away and you now have the wisdom of the word, the spirit of God living inside you to help direct you about how to live righteously. However, some people still would like a list of questions to ask and so I give it to you so how do we live out the word we must consider is it a worshipful act what I'm trying to do what does the word have to say about this specifically and if not specifically what does the indwelt word the spirit say to me about this and even then the right course of action may still be unambiguous or sorry ambiguous 
unambiguous. That'd be great if it was unambiguous. May still be ambiguous. But such questions, if you truly and honestly face them, will be much simpler to answer. And if you can get to that point, you can answer yes to the question, is this a worshipful thought, word, or deed? Then you should do it and worship the Lord gladly in it. And you do it in His name. Now, this doesn't just mean that we utter Jesus' name, but we act in concert with the nature and the character of Jesus Christ. So you may ask, where do we find the nature and the character of Jesus Christ? The Word. We must realize that we worship by living out the Word in all things. Therefore, this is your reminder this morning. Your phone going ding. We must teach the Word. We must sing the Word. And we must live out the Word. And what is this Word that we're living out, singing, and teaching? It's a Word of grace. A Word that has saved sinners from the pits of sin and darkness and brought them in as we sang earlier into the glorious light of Christ this is a word that is worthy to be taught this is a word that is worthy to be sung and this is a word that is worthy to be lived do not waste this word let me pray for us father I'm thankful to be here preaching this word thankful that you've provided this congregation with a time and place to hear the Word of God preached, to hear the Word of God sung, and to be modeled by others around as to what the Word of God looks like as it is lived out. Father, let us not grow complacent in our devotion to truth and theological accuracy in our preaching. Let us not grow complacent to the search for true and honest singing and worship of you. Let us not grow complacent in our own lives of righteous living, truly living out the word in all of our words and deeds, seeking to honor you every step of the way. So Father, I pray For any in here who may not know that word of grace. That you would bring them to a knowledge that knows that you have saved them out of their sin and despair. Father, I pray for any in here who has forgotten this morning what that grace feels like. And so they sing with a cold stone face. Father, move their hearts to be hearts of thankfulness. Move our hearts to be ones who continually point the praise back to you in your name, lifting that name ever higher as it is supposed to be. It's in that wonderful name that we pray. Amen.